Welcome back to the Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lenehan, and I'm delighted to bring you an international guest for today's episode. Dr. Deborah Brosnan is a Limerick-born, Galway-trained and US-based scientist who specialises in marine resilience and environmental risk reduction. That's a very fancy way of saying she is awesome. Through her company, she brings about smart solutions to climate change via her work with the government, businesses and local communities. Deborah has a beyond distinguished career in academia and has testified in front of the US Congress. She's advocated at the United Nations, all of which has helped to move the needle on critical environmental debates. In this episode, Dr. Brosnan shares her insights into climate action in Ireland and abroad. We speak about her very personal connection to nature and its importance in her life. And she tells us how we can all be scientists in the fight against climate change. I really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure you'll be able to tell that I was very excited and a little nervous to talk to Dr. Brosnan. She is such a force and such an inspiration. And I hope you get a lot of food for thought from this episode. I've included links to her website and to her incredible TED Talk, which is so worth watching in the footnotes. Don't forget, if you enjoy the conversation today, to like, subscribe and share it with a friend. Over to my fascinating conversation with Dr. Deborah Brosnan. Tell me all about your journey to where you are. I know you grew up in Limerick and then you studied in Galway. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I grew up in Limerick. And like a lot of Limerick people, every summer my family went down to Kilkee in County Clare on the shore. And that's, you know, we had so much freedom then as kids. So we would just take off in the morning and go explore the tide pools, swim in the ocean. And that's really where I fell in love with the sea. And I got really curious about what we, you know, fish, limpets, seaweed, the whole thing. So I was just, I would spend hours just looking at them. And that led me then to do a degree in marine biology in Galway. And that, that sort of changed me from, you know, curious naturalist to a scientist, where you start to learn how to study that, how to ask the right questions, and how to find ways to really understand what's happening in our natural world. And then I took those two parts of me and got an offer in to work in the U.S. in New York and across the Atlantic. Um, and that, that added something else to my life. First of all, like, I became aware of how good the training was in Ireland. The, the, the education, it's always stood me in good stead. It was incredible. So I arrived in the States, um, got a job working in New York for this um, agency called National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. And they were looking at that time to figure out how do we, how do we tell if the ocean is in good health or if it's polluted? And what makes a, a reasonably healthy sea versus an unreasonable? And I, that's the time I was getting off the plane. So they offered me the job to define unreasonable scientifically, you know? Um, and it was an eye-opener for me because I worked with... 12 different teams of scientists looking at pollution, looking at genetic health of organisms, looking at E. coli levels, looking at biodiversity, and just seeing how we, how we can tell when our oceans are healthy. And as part of that, I had great scientists working for me, but I would go down to Washington, D.C. to meet with Congress people and senators and brief them on what we were doing. And I was a naive 25-year-old at that time, and I really thought that when we walked in with the best science, everybody would go, oh, my God, that is so good. We must make these changes. And I remember being in a meeting with a group of scientists and we were talking about how 
measure pollution E. coli and if E. coli levels reach a certain amount in the sea, we should be closing beaches. And this senator said, well, if I close the beach, then I, you know, I will stop maybe up to a million people from getting sick. Um, and I said, yeah, that's great. You know, he's got the science. And he said, but if I, if I do close the beach, um, where will 25 million people go on a hot Sunday in August? And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, we have great science, but we could not make our science relevant to that senator or the communities. And that for me was a catalyst to say, well, from now on, I really need to be thinking about how do we make the science we do relevant to people's lives and to decision makers. And that sort of, I've always kept that in the back of my head because it was the most shocking experience for me, you know, um, to, to suddenly find, wow, you know, we had the best answers in the world and we, we couldn't tell, you know, this guy was like, look, I've got to make a decision and the decision I'm going to make is not the one you're going to like because on balance it's better. So, yeah. Wow. So that was a, that was an eye opener, you know? And as you know, it takes a lot to make Irish people speechless, but I was speechless. You know? <laughs> it sure does. But I love yeah. that. I love that as, as kind of the opener to really your life's work, because you, everything that you do is based, as you said, in the practical and you're so solutions based. And do you think that's maybe a lot of the problem with the conversation that's happened around climate change and around environmental action is that it's been too science-based and it hasn't been adaptable for people. Like people have felt like it's this thing that's over there that doesn't apply to them. Um, and I know you're attacking that, but do you think that has been part of the problem, uh, you know, as to why people haven't gotten more on board? It's been too oh, much absolutely. in its own. Yeah, do, absolutely. And I think that is, you know, with climate change and more general, even with coronavirus, we've seen it, which is that we look at science as, as expertise. And either you're a trained scientist, and in which case you're over here, or you're not, you know, and in which case you're, we're with the rest of the world trying to figure it out. And I think that divide is, has polarized and it's made it seem like, well, climate change is something that scientists study it's almost a science problem as opposed to a human problem. And that if we want to understand it, well, let's bring the experts in, ask them to give, to tell us their opinion and then send them out of the room. You know, thank you for the information, but you're not part of the, the issues, the solutions. I think we've got to get away from that. And I think the only way to get away from that is well, two things. One is to have scientists and non-scientists in the room together tackling the problems and learning from each other as they do it. Because I'm a scientist, but I'm also a member of my community. I've been locked down like everybody else. I've been concerned about, you know, how would, you know, how, how would we all make a living? How will I be? How will my kids be? How will my neighbors be? Um, how do we come out of this? So scientists, you know, we have exactly the same challenges, exactly the same anxieties as everybody else. But we're also scientists and we can bring that into, into a room community leaders are usually the representatives of their communities. They're talking about community values, what matters, how a community sees itself as a coherent unit. And if we bring these two together and scientists say, look, we have knowledge, we have answers. And the community goes, yes, and we have these values. How do we put them together? Then I think we move away from climate change as an us versus them or coronavirus as, wow, you know, we, we all need to wear masks and be locked down versus economic destruction. Um, and I think we've got, we can do so much 
So I, I totally agree with you. I think that's a huge part of the problem. And if I can just make one more point on this, which is we're all actually scientists in one form or another. You know, kids, you know, little kids think like scientists. They ask questions like scientists. They're aware that there's, you know, it's not black and white, that there are different options and solutions. And they do that instinctively. And even all of us. So let's say you're going to go to work. And I'm pretty sure that if you're walking to work, you know how long it's going to take you to walk. You know, if you take a bus, you know how long it'll take you to get there by bus. But you know there's an uncertainty as to whether the bus will show up on time. Um, and you know if you drive there, and then there's all those uncertainties. That's what science does. We look, we measure, we come up with measures of uncertainty, and we come up with solutions that you can do it. So, you know, we're, we're all scientists to some extent, and some of it more involved than others, you know? So... So you obviously got me on my hobby horse. I do think that science is relevant. I think we've got to get more people together on it. I really love that. And I love that you've said that we're all scientists because I know for myself, you know, science was never something I felt I was good at in school. And then I suppose when you go into adulthood, you do kind of put it in a box. And especially when it comes to climate change, you know, I find myself sometimes I get a little bit overwhelmed looking at the real science behind it. And I'm, I, that's my big thing for next year is to try and get more ensconced in it because you're right. It, you know, it's something that everyone can learn to understand and be a part of. And actually, I agree with you. I think the more people who are involved and feel like they can be a part of the science of it, the, the easier the solution will be for all of us. So you took all of that great approach to, to everything that you had learned and then you, you manifested it and put it all into this amazing company that you built. Deborah Bronson and Associates. So can you tell us a little bit about the work you do and how, how you are bringing those practical solutions to all kinds of people and companies? Yeah, so, um, so I put the company, you're right, I put the company together to take, to basically leverage the knowledge we had to help people who are dealing with environmental risks. And we work primarily with the private sector. We work with investors, we work with companies, we work with developers. And we work with governments. They're, they're our primary group. We also work with nonprofits. And what we do is we, we work with them to say, look, you know, let's say you're a developer and you're going to do this very major development. We start off by saying you're going to do it on nature. You're going to do it on a landscape. And the first thing you have to understand is how does that landscape work? You know, what's its natural rhythm? Is it subject to flooding? Is it at risk of sea level rise? Is it... Um, you know, are, are there forest fires, any, any of those issues? And what happens if you change that landscape? How do you disrupt the rhythm? So we come in and we look at the risks associated with it. And then we work with them to say, what are the kind of solutions in your development that will help nature and still give you the financial return on investment? Because business people are business people at the end of the day. They're in it for profit, no matter how you'd like them to think differently. That's what they're in there for. If they're a public company, by law, they have to, you know, give value to shareholders. So I'll, I'll give you an example. We had um, one project that we've been working on. We, um, this developer came in, a whole group of people, a multi, multi-million dollar project, and they wanted to develop in this area. And we went out and we looked at, at the environment, and some of it was in good condition, but other parts had been very heavily used, sand-mined, um, cut down so parts of it were not in, in good shape at all and the overuse led it to be more uh, more at risk from sea level rise and storm surge so we went back to the investors and said look if you want to invest here 
and protect your investment, you need to restore the sand dunes and you need to restore the natural vegetation. That will give you uh, an environmental benefit. It will help protect you against sea level rise and it will have a huge biodiversity benefit as well. And they said, okay, let's do it. So we are now in the process of building, rebuilding seven miles of sand dune and revegetating it with natural vegetation. And so we're monitoring how, is, how will this look when we're done, or when they're done compared to when we started. So those kind of options of being able to look and say, in your case, nature is, is going to be your best ally. It will cost up front, but it will save you a fortune in the long run and, and doing it that way. So there's some of the kind of work that we do. It must be unbelievably satisfying because I think for so many people, myself included, trying to make any kind of change sometimes feels like you're just doing something into a vacuum because it feels like this hugely and like enormous problem. And you just wonder sometimes, you know, with me recycling this piece of cardboard, am I really making any difference? So for you, it must be unbelievably satisfying, especially when it's a massive project like that, to be able to say, we've made a practical change, seven miles of sand dunes. Like it, it must be lovely to be able to measure that change. And when you look back on all of your work, see all the things that you implemented. I, I'd love to know if you feel like attitudes have changed from when you started the company to now. Do you think people are a little bit more open to considering the environment or are business people just business people it always is the same conversation or do you think people are a bit more engaged and aware now of how important it is to consider those things when they're undertaking a big project i think it's changing but i don't think it's changed yet i think coronavirus is going to it's giving people time to reflect and you know we know that one of the origins of coronavirus is the fact that we were cutting down you know humans were cutting down forests in asia and it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when, because we're you know, pushing animals and humans together more and more. So I think there's greater awareness. Um, at the same time, kind of operating against that is greater economic uncertainty. So we're in this push-pull kind of situation of um, where, I, where usually you see the most growth. So we do have an opportunity to work with businesses and businesses are thinking differently about sustainability. And some of that is coming from their own you know, individual recognition of the role we have. But a lot of it is coming from people like yourself, young people, shareholders, who are saying, you know, excuse me, this is our world. And what kind of a world are you creating for us? And, you know, we want to have nature. We want to be, you know, recycling. We want to be responsible. Um, and so I think that businesses are responding to those pressures. I think government's responding to those pressures. We're you know, seeing London just announced that they would make public companies disclose their carbon risks, which is huge. It's mandated. You know, European Central Bank is going to review all of its investments in relation to climate change. So I, I think the pressures are coming from everywhere. Um, and that's going to force businesses to, to act differently, to, to think differently. Um, but they will still be businesses, you know. Um, so, so you obviously I saw that as well I saw that that London brought that in which is incredible but do you think that we need more laws like that to kind of force people to get on board and make those changes I mean because as you said most companies unfortunately probably won't unless there's an impetus to so is it important to have all that legislation put in yeah I think it is I think we need you do need a like a carrot and stick I think we need the laws, I think we need the regulations and we need the policies and they set the boundaries that companies must, you know, you must disclose your carbon risks. 
because without it, who, who, you know, why take action if you've got a lot of other things going on? So I think we need those. And at the same time, we need incentives. So if, if you are a company or a business and, and you say, look, I'm going to do, I'm going to go the extra mile for the environment. I'm going to do more. Maybe there's a way to give a tax break or a, an earnings break or something that rewards that kind of effort. So I, I believe we need both. I'd love to ask you about your experience in the States, if that's okay. I know you're not there right now, <laughs> but I'd love to ask you about it because obviously we've all been watching the last year with the election, everything unfold, and it's just been fascinating to watch. But I'd love to ask you, as someone who's lived in the States, from everything that I've been learning, you know, the state and federal laws play a massive part in how the states operate in America. And I think, you know, we always kind of thought that the person in charge, the president kind of decided everything, but even with the elections and, you know, how the election ran over the last while, we saw how important it is that the people at state level have control. So living in America, now that you have a new president elect, do you think it's really important to have someone who is in that position, who is pro making those changes? Or do you think really that they're just a figurehead and it comes down to the states because obviously America has had someone who kind of didn't believe in climate change and pulled out of the Paris agreement and did a lot of things having someone now who is pro it will it push things forward for the states or do you think it really comes down to the individual states and the governors I I think both are important um you know so like you said so the U.S. it's it's almost a little bit like the EU in a sense but not quite because EU doesn't have a elected president but you have at the, at, the, at the country level or at the federal level, there are federal laws governing the environment, governing trade and commerce, you know, governing um, you know, everything, basically drug use, um, transportation. And, and the federal level is how the US interacts internationally in the community, um, in, in the world stage. And a president can have a huge impact because they appoint They'll appoint, they can appoint judges, they can appoint heads of agencies, um, head of the EPA, and whoever is in that position will start making regulations that operate on a federal level. So, for instance, the Environmental Protection Agency at the federal level determines the kind of um, laws governing pollutants, for instance. Um, and if, if somebody changes those laws or weakens them, as happened under the Trump administration, then then businesses have a much, you know, can pollute much more. Below that, most of the states have their own, like their own State Endangered Species Act, their own uh, state controls over pollutants. And generally they work pretty well together, the federal and state. But what we saw with the Trump administration, for instance, was that he relaxed a lot of the major environmental laws. So states like California began to step up and then the states start to take precedence over climate change and environmental protection. So the tension between the two was really strong. But on the other hand, the, you know, the U.S. As a, as a nation is the one interacting with the World Health Organization or with the um, you know, Paris Accord or with international you know, um, conservation, excuse me, conservation treaties. So it's really important that... Um, you know, the president is a really important role. It's, it's a lot of power with it, even though, you know, you have Senate and, and um, House to offset it. But it's a huge role. And I, I guess at the end of the day, it often has the defining role 
for how the US develops and how the US manages its resources. And the states have a lesser role. And what I found being in the states is that there's a tension between how much power the states have versus the federal government. And it goes back and forth. Um, you know, some presidents want to devolve more power to the states, others want to keep it more in the federal level. And, and I, it'll always be like that. It's not, it's not necessarily too different in, you know, in, in Europe. And I think part of the, you know, there's many reasons on the Brexit, but this idea of who has power, you know, who manages Ireland's fishing resources? Is it Ireland or is it the EU? You know, and, and so that sort of tension is always there. Are you feeling a bit more positive about Biden? Do you think he's going to make some changes that will, will help? I do. From, from my perspective, yes. Um, you know, obviously, he is aware of climate change. He's somebody who pays attention to the science. And he's already starting by saying, you know, we're going to play our, you know, play our part as a citizen of the world. And we're going to protect our environment. And we're going to try and protect jobs. And, and he takes coronavirus seriously. So for, in my view, for people in the US, all three of those bode very well. That's great to hear. And then speaking about Ireland, I'm not sure how much I can quiz you on it, but looking at Ireland from your, from your faraway place, how do you think we're doing in terms of changes we're making, policies that are being implemented? You know, on the ground here, it doesn't feel like there's a lot being done, but how do you think we're doing and what, what kind of changes would you like to see happen here? So I think two things. I think, first of all, Ireland is not having the debate about climate change, which, you know, um, which is fantastic. I mean, in, in the US, we even still see the debate, is it real, is it a hoax? I think that debate is dying down now. But Ireland is already saying, look, we know climate change is real. We're looking at the data. We're experiencing changes. And as a nation, we need to do something. I think way ahead on that. Um, but then doing something is a lot harder than, than you know, actually doing it is, is harder. And Ireland has a mixed, it has a mixed record. Um, it hasn't met its targets, you know, its, its national targets or EU targets, which is, dis, which I'm sure is disappointing. You know, it's um, transportation, dairy are, are the two big ones that have really been holding it back. Um, and then I believe the national mitigation plan got tossed out because it wasn't solid enough. So it's, it's mixed and tackling climate change isn't easy and it's always easy to give advice, you know, but actually doing it on the ground and, and making sure that what you implement will work and work for citizens. So I wouldn't want to say, hey, here's what Ireland should be doing. But I think um, that making a stronger effort to tackle these issues on, on a broader, broader range of, of um, issues, for instance, Renewables. I think Ireland is 30% renewable now, but in, you know, increasing the uh, attention on renewables, maybe looking at uh, other forms of transportation where you're using renewable transportation, and even things like you know planting trees is it's not going to solve the environmental crisis or climate crisis, but tree planting is one of the easiest things to do, and it does have a huge impact on carbon emissions. So we've got to look at it across the board, you know. There's a wonderful Irish company called Grown Clothing. It's run by firemen who have this hemp clothing company in their spare time and they're fabulous. And they bought 
a large plot of land in Wicklow with all the money from their company. So this year they've launched a whole new company where basically you can plant a tree or buy a tree for someone um, and you get a beautiful card to tell you where it's planted and how it's doing. And it's really made planting trees quite glamorous and, and something that everyone can kind of get on board with because you have this beautiful piece of art to kind of hold and to have. So I definitely think the tree planting thing is, is so exciting. And again, if it's that thing where people feel like they have something to show for it, they can measure it and they know that, it, that it's real. So I love that it can be as simple as, as tree planting. That's awesome. I want to talk to you about your TED Talk because it's wonderful. And the second I watched it, I sent it to my, my mother because she is a free diver and wants to be in the ocean every other day. And she is missing the sea so much at the moment because obviously we can't travel too far, but I sent it to her right away and she loved it. And the thing that she loved about it was how much you talked about finding hope in nature and how really, you know, behind everything that you do, it's this love of nature that just propels you and keeps you going. So I would love for you, I'm going to encourage everyone to go and watch the TED Talk because they just need to hear you say it yourself. But can you talk a little bit about what you get from nature and and why you love it so much and the inspiration that it gives you to keep going? Yeah, well, thank you first. And thanks to your mother too. And I'm so (laughs) So delighted that she's a free diver. That's fantastic. Good for her. Yeah. So I, I, for me, you're right. Nature is, it's a source of inspiration. Like I said, when I was a kid, I just would spend all my time in it. And I think it is the most healing place. Um, and I think everybody is reconnecting with nature. Uh, you know, coronavirus, what is it that people were saying? Oh my gosh, I see birds more. I'm aware of these things more. And I think we are part of nature. We are just simply part of the part of the natural world, and um, we have our cycle of you know birth, death, and change. And to me, when I go out in nature, I I feel connected to that that system, to both to the beauty of nature, but also the rhythm of nature. Systems change, seasons. You know, you have droughts, you have floods, you have hurricanes, and you see that nature experiences all these kinds of changes. And it's resilient and it comes back. And so to me, there's just an emotional beauty, but there's also a learning. I I watch the natural world unfold and I think, boy, this is like our lives, you know? And there's so much you can learn from nature. And and it gives you that feeling of, I suppose, in a way, empowerment and resilience because we're part of that system. It's very healing. Yeah, during the talk, which I'm sure everyone will see for themselves, but you talked about just closing your eyes and imagining yourself in your favorite place in nature and just what that does like I did it and I it really does it changes your whole physicality it's it is so powerful and it's so important that we protect it and do whatever we can I know we were speaking before we before we started the podcast about how much this year has just thrown everyone out of whack and all of our best day plans were changed and everything but how does the next 12 months look for you you know, what, what are you working on? What are you excited about? So, I mean, you're right, we're all upended. So I've taken a bit of time, I think, like everybody else, to to step back and say, where do I want to take what I do next? And I love what I do, and I want to do more of it. That I am quite sure of. So looking forward to the year ahead, there's two things. One, we are going to launch a major um, coral reef restoration approach to take how we restore reefs from, you know, a, a sort of a small scale, which we, you know, we tend to do to trying to make it more industrial. And we're working with some very major players to figure out how we do that. So I'm ex- we'll get that started in the new year. So as, wow. as a very practical 
know, just, just purely practical, being in the field, you know, sleeves rolled up. I'm very excited about that. The other um, thing that we're working on is actually figuring out how to help companies deal with, deal better with climate change and, you know, what's called ESG, environment, social and governance. And the first word in that is environment. And what does it mean? You know, what does it practically mean? And how do you measure your, uh, your way of, of benefiting the environment against what are, you know, the economic return on investment? I think one of my goals is to help companies realize that the environment is not a cost because that's often how they walk into it, but it actually can be a benefit and it can have a positive bottom line. And how do you measure that? And, and how do you show value to, to the community and to the company? And so for me, that, that's, that's something I want to do more of because I, I, we talked about it earlier. There's a polarization between sometimes environment and, and economics that is a false dichotomy. So, you know, personally, that's my, my internal mission. Um, practically, I'm very excited with the, the projects we're doing on, on sort of development in nature. So. There's another amazing doctor, another Irish doctor, uh, Dr. Dorothy Maxwell, who I spoke to uh, a couple of months back at the start of the lockdown. And she talked a lot about environmental profit and loss and how, you know, companies should be taking that into account. You know, how much water do they use? That should be a cost. How much, yeah. how much air do they use? So if, if that could be implemented over the next 10 years, that would be a massive change and, and would really revolutionize everything, right? Like that, that, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's absolutely right. She sounds great. Yeah. And I, you know, this, this idea that nature provides us with services that if we had to pay for them, yes. cost a lot, you know, whether yeah. it's clean water, you know, like, you know, we've been doing work with mangroves and marsh restoration and actually looking at how much they contribute to reduction in storm surge, how much money they save the communities and how they filter pollutants and make the water cleaner. And, you know, we don't put a, a dollar value on them, but if we did, you know, certainly change the whole equation, the whole balance. It really, really would. Well, your coral reef restoration, I think we could have a whole podcast episode on that alone. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> that incredible. Too. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited about it. You know, I think we're, we're going to learn a lot because we're, we're moving it out from the, you know, we're scaling, you know, and, and when you start to scale anything, it becomes a very different proposition. So it's going to be interesting and a challenge and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. Well, listen, I know you're a busy woman and I don't want to keep you much longer, but for anyone who's listening, is Twitter the best way to keep up with you and all of your interviews and your talks and everything? I guess that that's the best way for people to find yeah, you. Yeah, I think Twitter. Um, I'm doing more on Twitter now. I was, uh, you know, I've not been the best social media person. Um, at Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, any of those. Yeah. Amazing. And I'll put the link to your incredible TED Talk below as well and to your website for the company. Thank you so much for the time and good luck with 2021. And I would love to come back and do another episode for sure. Again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for having me. I so enjoyed this conversation. It was wonderful. 